0: Listening to Into the Valley, a Phoenix Suns podcast.
1: A part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Hello, everybody. Welcome into the Valley. I am Ethan Shutt, joined as always by Ryan Shutt and Philip Russell, coming at you on a Sunday afternoon. Changing it up a little bit here as we are wanting to get together, break down everything we've seen so far in week one. And as I switch my microphone settings to the correct microphone, I will pass it on to Philip. Philip, how
2: are you doing this Sunday afternoon, buddy? I'm good. I've enjoyed the uh, first few days of the basketball season and I'm ready to chop it up talking about some real basketball stuff and not just storylines. Feel that. Ryan, how are you doing, bud? Man, it's this is like the
0: the pinnacle of sports time. We've got basketball back, football's on. The World Cup is now officially less than a month out. This is yeah. just like peak sports right now. And I am I'm on cloud nine. I am elated. Life's great. I'm loving it.
1: I, I have found myself, and maybe this is just, maybe it's just like those early relationship feelings, you know, where you're just a little into it more. And you just got to pump the brakes. I've been watching any random NBA game I can. <laughs> like, it hits 5 p.m. And I'm like, ooh. Time to watch some Pistons Hornets or enter any, Sixers last night. Any league pass game that I can get my hands on, I'm watching. And part of it, I think, I we've learned this over the past two seasons of doing this. I think it makes watching the Suns games more enjoyable when you have a better understanding of who they're going up against, who doesn't match up well, who does match up well. Right? Like just understanding the layout and the landscape of the league, I think makes you a better basketball fan, even when it comes to cheering for your own team. But I've had such a good time. I think there are so many young players as well that are fun to watch. And maybe that's because we're not getting that with Phoenix, right? Like this is year two, maybe three of not having like a real exciting young player to kind of rally around and watch and and key in on that development. And so I'm having to go elsewhere to to scratch that itch. So Magic games have been an absolute joy to watch. They have some great young talent. The Pistons have some great young talent. It's been a lot of fun. Have y'all, have y'all watched any one game or, or a couple of games that have stood out the most so far with the season rolling?
0: Oh, go, oh, I was going to say, I've enjoyed watching the Nuggets. Um, I think Bones Highland is a fun young player to watch. Um, Jokic is obviously uh, a master at ball movement. There's a lot of fun things going on there. Um, and then I've I've enjoyed watching the uh, the Sixers uh, experiment so far. Uh, the other night, uh, Philip's Phillip, dad actually, I think, tweeted at all three of us asking if we thought Doc Rivers was going to be the first coach out. And I think that'll just be a really interesting narrative. Uh, but young players wise, Bones Highlands won. And then Herb Jones from the Pelicans is another one that I think's got a lot of upside that doesn't get talked about quite as much. But it's been it's been fun for sure.
2: I watched a lot of Bulls. that'll come as a surprise to our <laughs> to our listeners. Um, Demar's first game this season was just unbelievable. He was so good down the stretch. But it's interesting watching the Bulls right now without Lonzo because it it just reinforces the need for a point guard, especially on a team where you have good scores at traditional two, two guard, three, kind of at the four and five for the Bulls. But you need a guard to facilitate the offense a lot of times, especially if one of your scorers gets stopped, someone who can get the ball and keep it moving. And that's something that the Suns are facing right now as well with the backup point guard.
1: You you went ahead and and took that right out of my brain. I was literally about to say that that is a great kind of segue into some of the stuff we might have watched on the in the Suns games. But I wanted to go ahead. Just in case you are listening and you weren't able to see what was going on in week one, I want to do a quick recap. So game one of the NBA season for the Suns, they played the Mavericks and ended up winning 107-105. This game was bonkers. It was a roller coaster of emotions. It felt like game eight of the playoffs last season for a good three, almost three and a half quarters. Before the Suns showed a whole bunch of heart and put together quite a comeback. Uh, we had one, one tweet in particular from the Into the Valley account, which, if you're not following us, at the Valley PHX, where we had pulled up on the ESPN kind of, you know, the win probability that kind of charts up and down. With eight minutes and 30 seconds left in the fourth quarter, ESPN had the Mavs win probability at 98.2%. So that was with eight minutes left in the game. ESPN thought it was all but over. Uh, So for the Suns to come back, win that one. Good bit of revenge. Great way to start the season. Fast forward two days. They're going to Portland, playing an interesting Trailblazers team. I don't even know how to describe them. They don't have a whole lot to play for from the outsiders perspective, but they've put a bunch of money in around Dame, big extensions, where financially speaking, they are kind of competing. But then you look at the roster and you're like, but but are they really competing? You know what I mean? One of those teams. And so I I viewed it as a kind of a, a toss up going into that game. And the Suns ended up losing in overtime, 113-111. We'll definitely talk more about those two games in detail through some of our upcoming segments and the way we close out every episode, our highs, our lows, and our just so you knows. But I wanted to open it up to you guys just in terms of kind of first take, initial reaction. What thoughts come to your mind as you kind of hear how week one went, hearing those
2: scores? Uh, And Philip, I guess I'll, I'll start with you. One of the big questions the Suns had coming into this season was whether or not they could keep up the defensive level without Jay Crowder. The I think the idea that most fans had, which shout out to all the fans who talk about basketball, uh, there, was a, there was a level, there was a question about can the Suns be a really good defensive team when you're substituting in Cam Johnson for Jay Crowder? And I think the resounding answer in the Mavs game especially was, yes, in the second half, holding the Mavs to 43 points, from the field, 33% from the three-point line. That level is still there for this team. And a lot of times, even in the Blazers game, and especially down the stretch against the Blazers, I was really happy with the Suns' defense. Mm -hmm. If not for, not even just late-game heroics from Dame, Mm -hmm. but constant, consistent throughout the game, incredible scoring from him. The Suns probably win that game by five to ten points fairly easily without like hitting free throws down the stretch. That's what it would have been like. Again, because I thought this ends defense was really good.
0: Yeah. What about you, Ray? I-, I think our, our lack of depth has been pretty, pretty obvious through the first two games. Um, I think that's been one that's been a standout. There's definitely going to need to be some additions made as see some progresses, not to jump ahead with some of the places we're going to go in the show today. But I think that's been one that I've looked at both games so far. Uh, and other than, than Damian Lee in, in game one, getting 30 minutes in and hitting a big bucket shouts to Philip Russell for, for seeing, for seeing his productivity coming. Um, Depth, depth is a big issue, man. And that is that is my one big concern right now moving forward is we've talked about it. we talked about it through the offseason. We've questioned, you know, wh- why aren't we doing more from a signings perspective? And I think we're seeing it come to fruition through the first two games that our, I-, I would put our five against anybody. Uh, six through 10, six through 11 is kind of a question
2: mark right now. And that's a little little worrisome. All right, real quick. First victory lap of the season for me. I think it'll be a victory lap. Just a yes or no from you boys, gut reaction. After watching him for two games, is Damian Lee markedly better than you thought he was? Yeah. Yes. I
1: mean. But I also was coming from ignorance. I hadn't watched him much, so I had little to go on. But the stuff he showed on court for the Suns is not the stuff he was doing for the Warriors. I think that is, that's where I'm going to give, I think and i've already tweeted it out from the official account you get your victory lap even just uh on the bright side uh which by if you haven't checked out bright side please please feel free we had all of the podcasters all the writers do a full poll ranking the suns players i think and this is off memory i think memory serves as damian lee was ranked somewhere in like the 13th maybe 12th i think you had him at like 8 or 9 whatever you had it was a clear uh Go against the current, if you will. So no, victory lap, well-deserved. I think the problem for me was, I knew coming from the Warriors and the Warriors system, obviously he wasn't going to be trash. Look, The first thing I did, I looked up his minutes from the playoffs last season, and I said, did the Warriors trust him on the court during a very important playoff run that ended with the finals? The answer was yes. So that at least gave me some level of uh, assurance that he wasn't just a pumpkin out there. Like he's not going to just kind of sit around and be like, I'm here, but I didn't expect the, the ginormous balls, if you will, to say, I can, I can take these shots. I can hit these shots. I'm going to look at the crowd and pump them up after a contested corner three. Like the personality came as a surprise. And defensively, I took your word for what he was capable of. Like Ryan said, I wasn't grinding the tape. But I've been I've been incredibly impressed by him. And one of the few bright spots when it comes to non starters, I would say. I will say there were a couple late possessions that he ended up
0: going man against Luca on defense that I wasn't super thrilled about. Uh, and and that left some some to be desired. But I, I was really blown away by the amount of minutes he got game one. I expected maybe seven or eight minutes in game one against the Mavs and the dude came out and carried his weight and then some. Um and I think he he got a lot of love online uh from guys around the league. The Steph Curry video was great. If you didn't see that, that check was, it out. That was really cool it to was see. cool to see Steph hyping him up after hitting that shot. But uh Philip you you got the uh, you got the early win on the season, my guy.
1: And one one other Damien Lee related thing, I don't think we can spend too much time on Damien Lee, no offense, bud. The Damien Lee episode. Yeah. The real Dame the, L, if you will. The the big thing for me was him in Media Day recounting his free agency process. He was he seemed shocked that he did not have a phone call waiting for him when free agency opened up. And he kind of owned up to it and and was like, it kinda humbled me. It kind of put me in a headspace that I needed to be in. And when this opportunity came, I knew it was the right one. So, again, you you just look at the Jay Crowders of the world, and this is not a poop on Jay Crowder show, but a guy who doesn't want to be there and be a part of this thing they're trying to build. Damian Lee is like the antithesis of that. Like, he is the, I am here. I am ready to contribute. I want to be a part of this. So, I don't know. So, we will move past Damian Lee. I know he's like the exciting thing that's going on right now, uh, and he deserves every bit of it, even if he might have walked on the game winner. But who's to say? <laughs> I don't I, No, he, I didn't throw a challenge
2: flag, so I don't know. I, I mean, I will say I didn't get to watch the game live, so I circled back live, and I saw. I did not notice. I, I saw the either. clip. I saw that the clip on screen. Twitter. And I was, I was looking more at why he was the one who took the shot. And then I sat down and I watched the game in full and I'm taking my notes. So I watched the last possession a few times. And finally, when I watched just Damian Lee, I laughed out loud. I was like, that was such an obvious walk.
1: Hey, he we deserve this. He picked up and
2: put down his pivot foot about three times and didn't get it. Jamal Murray
1: sent it to us. I think yeah. Donovan sent We deserve it. You know, yeah. Donovan Mitchell, Jamal Murray, Damian Lee, all the same. <laughs> Well, as, as we move along in, in talking about week one here, I want to run you all through a quick game of Believe It or Not. And here is what that game is for Br- our listeners. Brought to
0: you by Ripley's hashtag not a sponsor.
1: No, uh, don't get us in trouble. I honestly was like, that could be trademarked. So I didn't look. So <laughs> I am going to give you all a take. This is an Ethan shut take. I did, I allowed my emotions to encourage these takes, but my, my goal is for you to tell me, do you all believe it or not? Pretty self-explanatory. And we're going to go ahead and start with take number one, and I'm going to let it go Philip, and then Ryan, and then we'll switch it on the way back. Take number one, DeAndre Ayton is the clear number two for the Phoenix Suns this season. Yes,
2: unquestionably, without a doubt. And I called this, I also called this shot when we were ranking players. I had no hesitation on that survey, putting DeAndre Ayton as the number two. It was Booker's number one, DA's number two. The only question that I had in mind with the starters, and I actually ranked Jay Crowder ahead of Cam Johnson, just for fit on the Suns and adding okay offense, but really good defense because he was still on that, uh, on that survey. Uh, The bigger question for me was, is Mikael Bridges better Than Chris Paul. So I think DA is clearly far and above the second best player on this team. He's defensively sound. It's obvious through two games that he's offensively improving. Mm. And the Suns can put a lineup on the court without Chris Paul that is extremely good on both ends of the court. The same thing cannot be said about DA. The Suns can't roll another five out on the court and have a really good offense and a really good defense. Ryan,
0: yeah, I've been I've been blown away by Aiden through two games. I think he's averaging 22 points a game so far through the first two games. He hit double digit rebounds there in game one, and, and he's doing things offensively to continue to add to his bag. One of our biggest complaints, at least uh, I know Ethan and I have talked about this. I think we've talked about it some, Philip as well. Is you know, there's been times where he'll get the ball, and instead of attacking at the rim, he'll look for uh, you know, instead of like dribbling at the rim and going for the dunk, he'll he'll take like this soft kind of floater or or look for an extra pass or something. He was attacking hard, especially in that game one. I've loved what I've seen from him. He's taken an obviously offensively. He seems to be bought in defensively, which is great. Uh, And and I'd go so far as to say through two games, it's one, a one B and not even one and two. I I think Aiden
1: has been so good. I'm not going to pump the brakes on you there. I think, I think if all goes well, that's where you'd like it to be. But something popped in my mind as I was watching these two games and kind of jotting these notes down when Aiton was getting interviewed during the draft process, which is a very sore subject for me as a Lucas stand during those days, which if you ever want to get angry at me, guys, just go to my Twitter, search <laughs> at Ethan shut and the word Luca, you will find a lot of loud tweets during that draft process. But Aiton, with all the assurance, it seemed, that he was going to be going to Phoenix Probably proclaimed that he wanted it to be the next Kobe and Shaq. There has not been a moment since he has arrived where I have thought that that made any sense. And I think it's not just on him. I think Kobe Shaq in the younger years were at some of their best when they were running a pick and roll that involved a very mobile Shaquille O'Neal. I saw a lot of moments during these first two games where I was like, oh, the, the big fellas bought in? He's rolling hard, he's catching high, holding high, finishing high. And Booker as a playmaker, a creator, a you know, just a facilitator within the pick and roll, I think is also developed to where I'm now seeing this and saying, okay, if we make our identity, Booker and Ayton, and then fill it out, I think you have your new horizons. I think you can I think you can get rid of what might be in some people's head, which is, oh, if Chris Paul tanks we're screwed. You're like, no, 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 that was last year's identity. The identity is changing. These two guys financially are on lock for a long time. If Aiton's where he needs to be, and Ryan called it out. Defensively, I thought he was phenomenal again. And I also thought in that Mavs game in particular, and this might be too much, and y'all can tell me to stop. I did not, as a fan who was very in the game, which means my general emotions are high, low, high, low, when he got singled out and was guarding Luca one-on-one, I was not nervous. And that is, again, I know who has the advantage, but that's a massive testament to his perimeter defense, where I don't see that and say, oh, crap, what's about to happen? So he has taken, in my opinion, some really good early, got to emphasize that, early indications for us that things could be looking up. There's a lot of season left, but I think when it comes to Aiton and Booker both, you've got to be pretty thrilled with what you've seen.
0: And and Ethan, I think this is one of those value-added things that comes from having Chris Paul on your team without him even being on the floor, and that I think Booker has learned how to play with Aiton by watching the way Chris Paul played with Aiton. Aiton and Chris Paul had a really good synergy pretty early on. It felt like compared to Booker and and Aiton, and I feel like we're seeing Chris's influence on Booker in that pick and roll and then playing together, that even if... uh, chris paul isn't getting the same minutes he has you can see his influence on making booker a better player and facilitator and i think that's
1: huge yeah and chris chris would force feed the ball to da even if da didn't make the right decision book seemed to have a much shorter leash with that uh and i'm i haven't seen that so far so anyway ayton i think we're all in agreement there on take one so take two do you believe it or not devin booker will be an MVP candidate. And I'm going to go ahead and clarify this. Last year, Devin Booker finished fourth in MVP voting, but I don't think anyone in their normal non-son's loving mind would say he was an actual MVP candidate. There was a top three. It was very clear it was going to be one of those top three. It was nice for Booker to be invited to the reception type thing. I'm saying, will Booker be in contention of winning the thing this season? Ryan, will go to you first. Gut instinct
0: is no. I, I think he'll be kind of in that three, four, five spot again. I think it, he'll have a more legitimate case than he had last year because last year's case seemed to be built on like this really great, probably like three week run he had where he just looked like a world beater. I do think he will be equally in that conversation more so, but I don't think I don't think he'll be uh, a legitimate contender and maybe those top two vote getters uh for for the mvp but i definitely think he'll take that step up from last year it seems so far
2: i excuse me i don't i don't think you can say anything definitively about the mvp after two games so then we're basically well, yeah, it's a, going it's an ethan take we're, go, no, 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 we're going <laughs> off of where does booker rank as far as the league is concerned coming in and then where do the sons rank as far as the league is concerned coming in so Because of both of those, I think it's a definitive no. Booker, in my mind, is not top 10 in the NBA. That's not a shot at him. That's just the level of depth at the star level in the NBA. And I don't think the Suns are actual contenders at this point. So no, pretty uh, pretty firm no for me.
1: I think the opportunity will be more available this year than last year. As Paul takes more steps away, I think that will open the door. I think Ayton's improved play will also give Booker more credit as well. And that although the Suns, in terms of like Vegas odds, were a quote contender, it seems like the general media as a whole does not believe that narrative. So I'm curious to see if they do put it together, what that could look like. All right, number three, believe it or not, this season is a make or break season for Mikhail Bridges on offense.
2: Philip, what are your thoughts? No, another definitive no. There's a caliber of NBA player who doesn't necessarily have to evolve offensively in order to be a very good NBA player. There's one on the Suns roster right now who's, as they say, not with team on all the box scores. Jay Crowder doesn't evolve his game year to year. We joke about the floater that he added to his game last year, but it's that's a not a that's not it feels like a big deal for his caliber of player, but that's not an evolution to his game. So I'm not saying Mikhail is on the same level as Jay Carter. I think Mikhail is better than Jay. But if if Mikhail is what he is offensively right now for his career and he can stretch out a five to ten year window with the current skill set that he has, paired with being a really good wing defender then that is an outstanding NBA career. And he's not hes not going to live or die by adding something offensively to his game this year. There's another question that for the Suns, is it a make or break year with Mikhail on offense? And that's TBD.
1: I definitely think that was the direction that my mind was going with that question. Ryan, what do you think? That's the direction I went. And my answer was yes. And especially if you look at the way he is, uh, through
0: two games, have you? Did, did you all look at his three point numbers so I, far?
1: I'm gonna forgive him. I mean, it's it's two games. I don't think he's hit one yet. Is that no, correct? But he's only taken
0: two. And right. To me, that's an issue as well. Um, I'm
1: frozen here. Are you guys frozen? No, you're good. You're good. Well, no longer is he good. Uh, no. I will. I'll pick up where Ryan left off. Yeah, he's zero two. I think because the volume is so small. It makes it very easy for me to not take any like take any conclusions from that other than it is a it is low in terms of the attempts. I'm not even looking at the makes at that point. But I just feel like this is the third season in a row where we're like, all right, is this the year Mikhail is going to creep towards that 18 points a game, 16, 17? And I'm getting close to just saying like, no, that's just not it. Like that's not a fair expectation to put on him, and that's not something that's going to happen. And we just need to be OK with him being a 12 to 15 point guy and not being a top three or maybe four offensive option. Look, you didn't have to kick me for my point, OK? No. My
0: only point <laughs> was that he's only taken two threes in two games, and I, I hate that. You didn't have up, to kick I me up, from you, the show.
1: I picked up what you <laughs> dropped and
2: carried it home. You're welcome. But what, what you'll notice about McHale as well, when DA gets the ball, especially when he gets the ball in the mid post, McHale and Cam Johnson both are cutting, I think, noticeably more than they did last season. So that might mean McHale might not have as many opportunities to shoot threes. And what he's trading those out for are slashes to the bucket, yeah. which were highly more efficient s- for him some anyway. of the most efficient shots literally in, in the entire NBA last year was a McHale shot in the restricted area. So that's yeah. that's a good trade off in yeah. my mind.
1: I think that's fair. I think that's fair. All right. Now this one, I I don't know if this was me going way too far here. It was hard <laughs> to throw a, a definitive number. Believe it or not, the Suns need at least two more playoff caliber players on the roster to even pretend to be contenders. And for the sake of explanation, when I say playoff caliber, that means If we were to fast forward to the playoffs, these guys would be in the seven, eight, nine who are getting minutes. So they are kicking out current players who might be getting those minutes right now. So Philip, two more players to even be contenders. What are your thoughts?
2: It depends on the guy. Because of some of the salaries that the Suns have, you can package pretty sizable three for ones and you're getting up to 30. 35, 40 mil a year. I don't think there are any 40 mil a year guys that the Suns would be interested in. But is, you Russ,
1: think, is Russ on available?
2: <laughs> you think 25 to 30 mil a year? That's easily doable for the Suns as a trade piece. And if you're adding a really good guard or wing scorer, then maybe it is just one just guy. One. Yeah. If you're, so here's kind of what I said if it's one of those guys, no, I think it's just one. But if the Suns top five players, who I think we agree currently are the starters, if that stays the same after the additions, then it needs to be at least two more guys. Yeah, Ryan, what do you think?
0: That's where I went as well. Uh, and one of the names I've seen thrown around by a couple people so far that I don't hate and, and I think could be a good addition is somebody like Jordan Clarkson from Utah. I think Jordan Clarkson could be a good pickup and, and would fit well into this team. But he's not one guy who's going to make that difference. If you're bringing in somebody like Clarkson, it has to be Clarkson and, uh, and. And so I think that's where the the discussion is: is like, what kind of to Phillips point? What kind of caliber player are you getting? to make that so I would like to see I, I think our five is good I like I said earlier I think I would put our five against pretty much anybody at this point but I think I would like to see a couple more really good playoff role players come in and just kind of flush out the, that that depth that I mentioned earlier that's lacking and I think it could be a guy like Clarkson uh and, and maybe somebody else to come in b- behind
1: no I I Agree with both of those answers. I think Clarkson is a, he's a name I've thrown around earlier, just when the jazz seemed like they were going full fire sale. Now they're winning games and are kind of fun and who really knows what's going on there. But I think because, because the draft this year is so valuable, so valuable, this draft class is supposed to have some real franchise changers. I think as we get closer to Christmas and people seem to have a better idea of is it worth it for us to pretend to keep trying or hey, are we are we throwing it in? I think there's going to be a lot of people available, including names that we might not even be talking about right now because they're attached to teams that in our minds are like, oh yeah, of course they're trying. Who's to say? One injury means an entire franchise is now looking for a top draft pick. On top of that, there's the complexities right now of, because of the mammoth trades over the last three years, there are so many pick swaps out there and this team owns this team. It's not as cut and dry as the bad teams need to be bad. There's also some middle teams that need to be slightly better. Some good teams that might not want like it's complicated. And I think that is going to lead to a lot of action happening, which I'm excited for. I think that benefits a team like the Suns, who uh, maybe this is the biggest jinx in the world there's no way I can see them becoming a big seller, right? There's, there's no, I'm going to be done. I don't want to jinx something. It seems like they will be buying rather than selling. And there's a lot more teams out there who could have those pieces available. And, but I'm with you, Philip. I, this is a, this is a fantasy football logic for me right now. I think it's really silly when a fantasy football team wants to have 12 players who any one of them might be able to get a start. Screw that. That's too much thinking. Give me a core group that I can depend on every single week. So if that means you're trading, like you said, three of our guys on the bench, even if one of them is like our first man off the bench, not to name names, along with some others, make it happen. Increase, increase the value on the top end, because those are the guys eating the minutes come playoff time anyway. I think one thing that's probably hurting the Suns, though, is that someone like Dario Saric played two minutes in two games that's one where you hope he either is good for the team or gets good to bring value from outside the team. There's just a lot of question marks still, but guys, I liked all of those answers. I don't think anyone came, came out of it with anything too spicy.
0: I mean, you kicked uh, me off
1: the show. You, you and your internet bill, maybe kicked you off the show. Maybe you should look into that one. Uh, Gentlemen, it is a new season. Things change. Lots changes. Players change. Coaches changes. Season previews change, win totals change. But there are some things that just don't change. It's because they're just right. They were done well. And why should we mess with that? And for that very reason, as we bring this episode to a close, we've got our highs, our lows, and our just so you knows in Phoenix Suns basketball. And Ryan, I'm going to go ahead and give you the honor of the first high of the year. What you got? My high, and this is a
0: layup, but the buzzer beater win over the Mavericks. What a way to start the season. It was a great battle back after after we got totally shell-shocked by them in the playoffs last year to go down at least 22 a night one of our season and to give that gutsy performance. I loved it. I, I just, everything about it was great. I know I am the king of the first few games mean nothing, but that game meant a lot. And I'm really glad we picked it up. And I love the fight that I saw from the guys. 10 out of 10 would watch again. Great win to start off the season.
2: Philip, what about you, my boy? I really liked the defense down the stretch of both games. Mikhail had an outstanding possession on Luka one-on-one. Towards the end of the Mavs game, even the possession when Luca got the and one that wound up tying it, there was a good idea. Damian Lee got switched on to Luka in a one-on-one, and D. Lee tried to funnel Luca towards McHale, but McHale had to clear out of the lane. And Luca being the brilliant player that he is, as soon as Mikhail started his clear out, is when Luca took off on his drive. That's just really high level, like super superstar caliber thinking about the game. Like the contest at the end of the Portland game, I loved what they did. They put Booker onto Damian Lillard because they were going to double him. So if Portland, if they're going to send a double at D- Damian Lillard, who's the ball going to? Anthony Simons, who was guarding Anthony Simons, Mikhail Bridges, and Simons made a great shot over Mikael. But I loved that idea to say, okay, we can we can save our best defender and force it out of your best players. Hands, really good defense down the stretch of both games. Yeah,
1: My high is one that might be a bit controversial. I know it was something people on Twitter did not seem to like, but it is Monty Williams rotations. And here is why. A lot of them did not make sense. <laughs> and a lot of them did not work. Right. That doesn't sound very positive yet. I'm getting there. One of the biggest frustrations, I think, from a lot of people last year Monty's too scared to adjust. Monty's never going to pull Chris. Monty doesn't want to see blah, 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 blah. And it took all but one game for us to see Damian Lee closing it out in a fourth quarter with Chris Paul on the bench. That right there for me is a big step in the right direction. And then between quarters one and four, you saw some of the funkiest five mans that I've seen in a long time. Like there are some five mans out there that if I just wrote the names down and I said, did, did these five guys play for the 19-win Suns? You're like, probably? I don't know. Like, that. there were some weird things happening. But I'm okay with it because this, for a team that mentally should be in championship or bust mode, which whether we think they should be, they obviously think so. The regular season is a time to figure things out. So they are going to toy early on. To get more people involved while Chris is doing less, that means some things aren't going to work. We're going to watch some train wreck fives and that's okay. I love that Monty immediately said we're doing this in a game like the Mavericks game where there's probably a lot of personal feelings and pride on the line, whether they'd admit it or not, you know, it, it took some courage for him to say, no, we're writing this five that includes Damian Lee out there. So I love that from Monty. He even mentioned it in, in one of the post games of like, I'm just trying some stuff out right now. And I think that's a great attitude to have. So moving to our lows, I'm going to go ahead and kick us off with this one because it's it's short, sweet, to the point, and probably doesn't need to be talked about too much. I hated Devin Booker's game-winning attempt versus the Blazers. I hated ISO Book. Oh, man, it, it frustrated me so much watching the shot clock wind down he ushered out the guys, basically was saying, I've got this. They didn't even call for a high pick and roll. Like there wasn't a set to break into something else. If it broke down, it was, I've got this. He went to the right. He executed a very nice step back and got, it doesn't, might not look open, but an open shot for what the goal is on a step back. Very hard and ask that just can't be it. That's, that's my two cents. That's not how you win a game in a situation like that. You, you Booker have not earned that. I think there are very few dudes who I kind of just put my hands up and say, if that's what you think is best, I trust you. He's not there yet. I wanted to see something else at the end of a game for something like that. Philip, I see you're shaking
2: your head. You want to throw something in there? Yeah. My low is the last possessions of both regulations, because just sticking with the Portland game, it's, the regulation possession stands in stark contrast to the last overtime possession. I know DA missed the front end of his two free throws, and then Landell missed the money. I'm, I'm not worried about those. But that no, not at all. Right. That was a really good possession to set a pick and roll, to get Booker going downhill, to get Portland's defense scrambling, which opened up DA for a really good opportunity at the rim. That's it. The game is tied. Go down. Hill. yep that's what it should be, and then even playing playing the process more than playing the results, I didn't like the Mav's possession either. I want when Booker gets trapped like that, I want him to have the discipline and kind of the gumption to stand his ground a little bit more and then get the ball to the middle of the court because Mikhail was flashing to the nail or the top of the key, and both of those possessions if you remember, he passed it to Damian Lee twice he, went, he kicked wide wing. and almost back, yeah, yep. McHale was coming to the middle of the court. Get the ball there. It's first two games. Clutch execution should improve as the season goes on. But again, we just want, want a little bit more from those last possessions down the stretch.
0: Yep. Uh, since you both brought up the, those those last moments, uh, a quick shout out to Dame Lillard for one of the coldest psych outs that oh, I've seen no. in a long time. Looking DA in the eyes and basically saying, hey, you think your team trusts you to do this? That was cold. I, I just like, it. I
1: like the idea of him being like, so uh, you've been here before? He's like, it's no. So no, cold. no? Oh. <laughs> okay, well." okay big fella and then walking away with the thing it was yeah Uh, it was funny uh my low of the week and this is a
0: little tinfoil hatty of me so i do apologize
1: wasting no time
0: it's it's two games and two cam johnson injuries and that's a bit of a question mark to me as somebody who's been known to have injuries that impacted his draft stock he goes out game one with cramps He goes out with a hip injury in the second game and is questionable for tonight against the Clippers. Again, tinfoil, Hattie, this could just be purely coincidence. But when the guy is known for that, that's something to be concerned about. And now that he is in your starting rotation and you don't have Jay Crowder there to support
2: it, just something to be worried about. That's my low moving forward, something to watch for. Because he's probably going to be guarding slightly bigger guys than he was last season and so they're just going to be that more natural wear Mm -hmm. so I don't think it's necessarily tinfoil Hattie Mm -hmm. I think it's kind of reading the room and thinking like Cam's not as mature physically as a guy like Jay Crowder is he's not as big as a dude like Jay Crowder is and he's going to take more hits he's going to get more Nixon bruises than he did last season
1: I I know fans hate this I I think it makes sense why the ownership, the management, the whatever didn't read read the tides and say, well, the cap's going up, so we need to pay him more and then just do it. I think they're in a spot with him, again, not being a number one overall pick to say, we're going to be asking a lot of them both physically in terms of who he's guarding, the minutes he's playing the workload offensively this season. it, It, the change going into this year actually makes sense for you to be like, all right, this is a prove it season. Aiden did not need a prove it season. Aiden was Aiden was, you knew enough. In my opinion, you knew enough. the, the final number was in question. Cam, you are asking something significantly different of him this year than you were last year. I think it makes sense. And honestly, all goes well for him. He's going to earn more money than he would have. And I hope he does. I hope he proves it because that means great things for the team in the future. Uh, But no, Ryan, I don't think that's tinfoil. I think that's a it's an observation that I had and tried to bury deep in my mind. Um, But no, it's a a worthwhile (laughs) low for sure. Um, Ryan, no pressure. Not not to say that you always bring the best just so you know. But I want to go ahead It's a new season for some new listeners here. Ryan, what do you have as your just for you? Just so you know,
0: look, I wanted to come out of left field early, so y'all got to. Ro- no, I'm just kidding. Uh, Is it an
1: IKEA snowstorm? I'm <laughs> no, never forgetting it's, that it's one. Not, it's never not. forgetting that one.
0: One thing I just want us to keep in mind, as a just so you know, as we kind of go through the season, and, and it was your point about uh, finding uh, basically playoff pieces, right? And, and what that'll look like on the market, what those trade pieces will look like. If if what I uh, am looking at is correct i'm pretty sure the phoenix suns are the only team in the nba that currently owns all of their future draft picks that's big that means we have sole possession i think there's one team maybe the raptors who owe one second round pick to like memphis or somebody other than that phoenix are in sole possession of all their future draft picks through the first and second rounds so that is a good piece to hold on to as we're looking at trade options. Contract dumps, those sorts of things, to make those plays, and I just think it's something that's interesting and could become impactful as we look to pick up those guys moving forward.
1: Yeah, no, um, I, I think a, I think a move will happen, and I genuinely believe if you, if you want to think they have a chance at contending, uh, it'll need to happen. Philip, just so you know,
2: to gas up Cam Johnson a little bit. I think the Booker, D.A., Cam Johnson combination can be really good. Two different, two different versions of it. Number one, when Booker and D.A. run a pick and roll on the left side, so starting near the left wing or at least left of the top of the key, and Cam Johnson is the only one on that side of the court with them, there is so much weight to Cam Johnson as a catch and shoot three-point shooter that it can be really effective. But then down the stretch of the Mavericks game, that double high pick and roll that the Suns were running with Damian Lee, DeAndre Ayton, and Devin Booker, and D. Lee and D.A. were kind of mixing up what they were doing. Sometimes they would both slip. Sometimes they would both actually set the screen. If you substitute Cam Johnson in for Damian Lee right there, that can be a really dangerous set as well. So I think that three-man game that they can have is something that will be really enjoyable to watch because they can be so creative because of all three of their offensive capabilities. So, follow-up question.
1: I think a lot of people in their dream son's world thought that it would be Bridges, Aiton, Booker as the, the trio that gets built around on offense. Do you think that Cam Johnson could be a number three offensive weapon on this team or do you think that he's just a really good complement to the one and the two
2: i i hope that made sense yeah yeah i think that just flattens nba offenses a little too much because the reason that can be effective is think about if if da slips and he catches a pass and cam johnson goes to the opposite corner mikhail is going to be on the opposite wing and if his Defender is getting sucked in towards the lane. He's a capable catch and shoot three point shooter, but also his cuts off of Da's rolls are really good and they're deadly as well. So I think it's more five guys on the court who are complimenting one another than trying to say like who is the number two, number three exactly.
1: I feel you. I feel you. Uh, no, it'll be a good thing. Good thing to keep an eye on those rotations moving forward. Uh, my just so you know. I wanted to just go super nerdy with like Booker stats. Cause I think in terms of efficiency, he is off to a blazing hot start. If they would have beat the Blazers, I think he would be getting talked about a good bit more in terms of national media. Guys like Jason Tatum right now are kind of the talk of the town. Even guys like DeMar DeRozan aren't getting talked about enough after an incredible game one. I think Booker probably would be getting a bit more attention but one of the players that I wanted to highlight as a, a story worth sharing is Cameron Payne. And here's here's why. The first half against the Mavs was abysmal. A, a lot of things were going wrong. The only thing that was going well for them was Devin Booker. The next closest bright spot would be like Ayton, who was two of three, but in foul trouble. Cam was three of six. Campaign in the first half had eight eight 8.46 of gameplay, 0 of 3 from the field, 0 of 1 from 3. It would have been very easy, especially seeing which guard ended up getting benched in the second half. It would have been very easy for Campaign mentally to either try to do too much or slip or falter in some way. But I thought one of the biggest turning points of that second half was Campaign getting himself going getting some confidence and playing well for others. He ended up in his 10 minutes of second half time, three of four, including one of one from three, and it was a big one. I thought that was huge. And I think when you see how Damian Lee slips into Chris Paul's place, I think it creates a better fit for campaign to where campaign doesn't have to be the backup point guard in the sense of covering offensively and defensively in big moments being able to use cam as just a spark plug when things go well, and then being able to kind of offload that onto someone else as the defense starts to adjust. I thought it was great. I thought it was, it was good to see him come out, have a good game one, a good recovery after a rough first half uh, in the suns again, just to kind of take it on the chin and come back and keep fighting something we didn't see them do last year. So That was it for me. Campaign. Proud of you. Hope you keep it up. Gentlemen, we have ahead of us here, uh, before we bring this thing to a close, a pretty brutal week of basketball starting tonight, which if you are interested in keeping up with our thoughts about tonight's game, I don't know who other than myself will be watching it live. I know time zones and having small children sometimes can affect that, Uh, but you can follow us at on Twitter at the valley PHX. We will be probably having some sort of stupid commentary throughout that game. But the Suns start tonight at 9 p.m. Central Time against the undefeated Clippers. They then follow that up with a, that sucks. Tuesday night on TNT against the Warriors, Friday night on ESPN against the Pelicans. And that is that's a horrible week. That's a tough week. It'll be fun, but no gimmies. We'll probably record next Sunday afternoon again before they play the Rockets that evening. Hopefully a game that we can be a little less nervous about guys to close Clippers, Warriors, Pelicans. What's the sun's record for week two? One and two for me. I think we beat the Pelicans.
0: I think we dropped two straight going into the Pelicans, but Zion's going to drop like 35 on us.
2: One and two beat the Clippers, lose to the Dubs and Pelicans. Ooh. Okay. 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 I'm gonna go I'm gonna go two and one.
1: I'm gonna go two and one.
2: We're gonna, beat, shot.
1: we're gonna beat the Clips. We're gonna lose to the Warriors. And then we will win a I almost I almost got too far. We'll win a close <laughs> one against the Pelts.
2: I think I think if there's
1: one game where there's the highest chance of a comfortable win, it's tonight. Which goes against conventional wisdom with people. And the Clippers' massive team. I just think if there's one game where the Suns just take care of business, it's going to be tonight. So we got a two and one, two, one and twos. Uh, gentlemen, pleasure as always getting to talk to you. We look forward to recording Sunday. If you have not already followed us on any of the podcast platforms, feel free to do so at the Brightside Podcast Network. For Philip and Ryan, I am Ethan. This is Into the Valley Phoenix Suns podcast.
2: We out. Go Purples. <laughs>